Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where we look at the financial news of the week that can be confusing, misleading, and take you off course. We help to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. We got some great articles for you. We actually reached back into time a bit for a couple of these articles, but they're good enough that I thought they merited bringing up this week a June 18th Wall Street Journal article headlined, Boomers Got Hooked on Stocks Now They Can't Let Go, referring to the baby boomer generation and their equity allocation. Important for us to discuss. Another article uh, headlined, Short Sellers, People are hope, who are betting the market goes down, have lost $120 billion betting against the U.S. market. That's been powered by the AI boom. A fun little article about... This is a June 26 article about Mr. Warren Buffett, one of our favorite stars of the show. Frugal billionaire Warren Buffett drives a 2014 car and looks for hail damage deals. I just fell for the clickbait and uh, hope you will too. And then some fun data that uh, always bears looking at when we can be captivated by short-termism. So we're going to look back to 1801 to present and various asset classes and learn what we can learn. At the top here, Wall Street Journal by Hannah Miao and Amina Niesi. The headline drew my attention because I have seen this and not just in baby boomers, but they brought data with this. I thought it was helpful, but this article here, boomers got hooked on stocks and they can't let go. Nearly two thirds of US adults age 65 and older have money in stocks. Now, that's not that shocking admonition. Okay, two-thirds has money in stocks. What I found interesting was the percentage of stocks they had. So this article begins with an old rule of thumb that I think bears mentioning. So article explains conventional wisdom suggests that investors should rotate from risk assets such as stocks into havens such as bonds as they get older. But many abandoned the old 100 minus age equity allocation rule for much of the past decade. The stock market appeared to be the only place to get returns as interest rates hovered near zero. So what is this reference to this 100 minus age? Well, it is an easy way for an investor. Now, this every investor is going to be different. Everyone's going to have different needs and situations. But if we were just to go plain vanilla, what this allows for is you to say, okay, if I'm 65 years old, I should have 65% of my allocation in fixed income and bonds. If I'm 50 years old, I can do 50-50. On up until when I'm 80 years old, I should have 80% in bonds. Now, that's a pretty tight rule and one that even the models, the academic models, wouldn't recommend when you look at your target date funds. But it's at least a quick way to see, hey, how far out of balance am I using this deal? And when you're younger, right, when you're 20 years old, say, well, you could have 20% in fixed income, 80% in equity. So it's just a way, a quick way to look at where you are. Well, check this data out. Since U.S. stocks bottom in March of 2009, the S&P 500 has logged a total return of more than, right, listen, I want you to guess, don't look it up, don't look it up, keyboards down, thumb down off the iPhone. I want you to think about this. Since U.S. stocks bottom in March of 2009, how much do you think the S&P 500 is up? The answer is 700%. Compared with the Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, it's up about 46% over the same period. Huh. Now, we're cherry-picking data, admittedly, 
by going to the lows. Article explains even as rates have riven, r- risen rapidly since last year, making bonds and cash look more attractive than have in a long time, many older Americans say they aren't ready to part ways with their stock market bets. And we can understand why. Quote, FOMO does apply to me as well, unquote, said 76-year-old Sean Batachara, referring to a fear of missing out on gains. Batachara is a retired utility executive, and the majority of investments are held in equities. He likes Adobe, Apple, NVIDIA. He also has a pension, receives Social Security, so this is why it could work for him, but uses income from his investments to supplement his spending and keep pace with inflation. So, <clears throat> I see a lot of that kind of over-rotation in equities as unnecessary. Now, in that gentleman's situation, the pension and the Social Security may be sufficient to where this is kind of play money. But for a lot of folks, and this is why this article caught my eye, they are playing with fire. Everyone thinks they're real tough and can handle the drawdowns and equities until they happen to you. But that recent run, you heard that 2009 to present run, which sounds kind of unbelievable. I need to fact check these people. I got Robert Hunt Financial Fact Checker, by this is Wall Street Journal, so I kind of I'm bound to trust them. But um, the article explains individuals who have experienced high stock market returns over the course of their life report higher financial risk tolerance. Uh huh and more likely to invest. Baby boomers came of age at the start of a secular bull market, said Gina Bolvin, president of Bolvin Wealth Management Group, and their experience with crashes when the market bounced back it reinforced the idea that stocks are safe investments. <laughs> then we get a little history lesson about how discount brokerage firms have come about when baby boomers are there. The real data that, that I believe is really deserve some scrutiny. Here we go. Among Vanguard's personal investor clients, individuals 65 and older have a median equity allocation of 63%, according to the asset manager's data as of the end of January. So, this is potentially dangerous. And again, this is specific to the... I'll give you an example. If someone's worth $100 million and spends $50,000 a year, of course it doesn't matter what their asset allocation is. If they have an ambition to give all of their net worth to charity, it would make sense for them to be 100% equity. That's basically what Warren Buffett's doing. He owns most of his net worth in Berkshire Hathaway. All of it will be given to charity. Well, yes, in that instance, uh, bonds may not be a fit. But for most people, in my experience doing the work that I do, this will not end well for many of these folks. There's an example here. Henry Robitelli, a 79-year-old re- retired professor in Windermere, Florida, said he needs to make about 50 grand a year through the stock market to fund his lifestyle. He said it helps his wife's quilting hobby and visits to his children across the country. Hey, he says he splits his portfolio between high-dividend stocks, blue-chip companies, and tech shares. I really believe strongly in tech. Tech is what changes the future. They're not only fun to invest in, they're fun to keep up with. Ah, ah, ah. Did you hear that, listener? Henry confessed what I think all of us probably feel a little bit of. It is a lot more fun, particularly when you're retired, to speculate. And I would reckon that that is what's occurring. He is speculating with these securities. He's rotating in and out of them. Went to a uh, kind of a Charles Schwab event to hear about what they were doing new and different. And it was a bunch of retirees. And what I gathered among them is the vast majority had had very successful business careers, either starting businesses and um, or kind of high-powered careers that are high earning. In their retirement, it was difficult 
for them to drop the amount of action they had. And so the, the stock market afforded them this action. And so we I had people in the audience that day raise their hand and tell these tales of speculation and how they bought these shares of a Russian company and they thought it was going to get made whole and turns out it didn't and they're wondering where the securities are if the government took it over when all this, you know, and you think, well, they don't have to do this. Aha! Henry made this confession, Robert Chair, he says, it's fun. Because what the data shows is this sort of behavior is not helpful. It will not help. So, I recommend target date funds inside of IRAs and 401ks because it automatically takes your asset allocation and mirrors it to where it should be. So, in any time you can, if you can take away the joystick, do it. You'll be a better investor for it. Uh, short sellers. Short sellers lost $120 billion betting against the U.S. stock market. So, short sellers, are they, they want stocks to go down because they're borrowing shares and they want to buy them back cheaper and return the shares and make a profit. They've lost incredible sums of money. And to me, this is revelatory to all of us. So, here we go. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ 100. So the S&P 500, this article when it came out, was up 15.3%. And the NASDAQ was up 39%. So if you're bearish and you had done the short selling and you thought, oh, I'm going to get fancy here, who knows how much money you individually could have lost. As a group, as a group, they lost $120 billion. $72 billion of it, <laughs> they said, is stemming in the first half of June alone. So these cumulative short positions reached a trillion dollars in June as concerns about reduced market breadth take hold. That's me, unless basically just this market breadth business is about the number of securities in the index that are actually moving. So we spoke about that last week. Um, aren't you glad you're not a speculator? And if you are a speculator, would you join us as long-term investors? Do you realize how hard this is? The idea that you're going to anticipate or predict when stock, stock market will go up or down. So let us learn from others' mistakes and not do it. Just get long and get out of the way. You do not have to anticipate market drops. If you are worried about a market drop, look at your asset allocation. That's the lever to pull on a risk basis. If you're worried about a market drop, look at your cash position. Make sure that you have an emergency fund in place. If you're worried about a market drop, look at what sort of bond portfolio you have or don't have. That's the way to, to, to handle that, not by betting against stocks and potentially losing a great deal of money. So, And then kind of a fun article, kind of a personal finance spending article, but frugal billionaire Warren Buffett drives a 2014 car and looks for hail damage deals. I bit. I was so curious. What is this hail damage? So he drives a 2014 Cadillac XTS. This is not an article, but maybe it is, but he also lives in his original home in, in Omaha. And the article explains Buffett's frugality and minimalist mindset have been key factors in his tremendous success in his investor. His ability to seek value in all aspects of life, not just business and investments, has shaped his distinctive financial philosophy. So, <clears throat> he revealed to Forbes in an interview that he, he drives about 3,500 miles a year. So he decides there's no reason to place his car. But his daughter... Susie Buffett, shared in a BBC documentary that it gets embarrassing for her, and ultimately, 
he will buy a new car, Mr. Buffett, when his daughter will push him to do so. He'll say, she will say, quote, this is getting embarrassing time for a new car. So Buffett's quote was, I have everything in life I want. It's a very simple thing. If there's anything that money could buy that I wanted, I would do it this afternoon without hesitation. And it reminded me of a interesting podcast between Lex Friedman and Mark Andreessen, where Friedman was making light of Mark Andreessen, this famous venture capitalist, uh, partner at famed venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, developed the Netscape browser, sold it for billions, but I was also been on the Facebook board. He's done very well. Andreessen had an interesting quote that mirrors what Buffett's saying. In effect, money should be not used as a tool for happiness. And and he was referencing this consumption idea, but it can be a tool for satisfaction, meaning impact or accomplishment or work or service to others. And so I felt like this was a good reminder amidst the deluge of advertisements that we receive and it's tough for us to quantify those. I think I've you've probably seen those studies that show by the time a kid turns 18 they've probably seen like a year's worth of ads or something. I'm making that up but it can't be too far off. It's good every now and again to get a reminder that you don't have to buy stuff. You don't need to do it. Um, It's optional. Buffett references safety, and so, of course, he said he bought this 2014 XTS because it had airbags on both sides. That was his big thing, getting airbags on both sides. Well, pretty sure that's standard today in 2023. But a lot of times when I'm working with folks and we're sitting down and we're talking about how to um, enhance their personal finances, where they want to go first is the brokerage account or their IRA, or their 401k, or a private deal, or they want to maximize rate of return, they feel like that's the lever for them to pull. And many times it is. Not in the way they think they should. Usually I'm pulling that lever. We're going all index funds. We're selling stocks that we can in a tax-efficient manner, and we're getting yet all the high-priced stuff. And we're pulling you from big bank XYZ, and we're, we're taking you to Vanguard or Schwab or Fidelity. That's, those are the levers I pull. Oftentimes, while those levers are very important, they're not the most important. What's going to be most important, and Buffett doesn't mention this because he doesn't have to do it, is actually coming up with a plan for your money every month. And that's called a budget. I like the software YNAB, acronym you need a budget, YNAB.com. What it'll help you do is align your values with your spending. Now, Warren Buffett has done that kind of probably in his head. He's, he's a savant. But you can do that too. And that may mean you get the new car. That may mean you don't. But be sure you're not letting the new car or the, consu- the I'll call it mindless consumption, get in the way of much bigger goals, much bigger dreams. I think you will not be happy when you look back and see all the stuff that ultimately lands, ends up, winds up in the landfill. And then, can't harp on this enough. Every sermon needs to get preached at least once a quarter. Saw this data on Twitter and lifted it. In 1801, if you put $1 to work, $1, and you invested it in just the U.S. dollar, kept it in cash, kind of buried your talent, as it were, in the field, or you bought gold, or you bought treasury bills, treasury bonds, or stocks, 
How do you think that one, what do you think that one dollar turned into? This is 1801 to present. Now I'm a little suspicious as you should be too about day that goes back to 1801. But let's, uh, let's trust but verify here. Let's just, let's just trust. Um, the US dollar went to four cents. So it started at one dollar and at the, from 1801 to 2021, it's now worth four cents. So it lost every year negative 1.4%, right? rather it lost 1.4%. It's called inflation. So if you stay in cash, if you are an investor and your long-term strategy is cash, 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 the odds are ever not in your favor. Next up, next best was gold. If you bought $1 worth of gold in 1801, it became worth $4.06 in 2021. Not that great, kids. Not that great. You got a quadruple. You got a quadruple, and you had to live longer than any human who's ever lived on planet Earth to get that quadruple. $4 at an annual rate of return of 0.6%. Next up, here we go, treasury bills. These are shorter duration treasury instruments. You went $1 turned into 245 Okay, pretty good. Relative to the golden dollar. Treasury bonds, longer duration. 30-year. These are, these are longer duration U.S. Treasury bonds. $1 turned into 2163 At an annual return of 3.6% for the bonds, 2.5% for the bills. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the drum roll. Where... Do you think stocks ended up? Your one dollar in eighteen oh one, two million three hundred thirty-four thousand nine hundred twenty dollars. I read that right. That's not a typo. Two million three hundred thirty-four thousand nine hundred twenty dollars. Now, what game do you want to play, class? Stocks, bonds, bills, gold, U.S. dollar. I'll play the stocks game. Thanks. Like I, and it, within this data, there are decade periods where it doesn't work well. There are fifteen-year periods where it doesn't work well. Well, you don't know when those are going to be, and neither do I. Now, what the discerning here may be saying, now, hold on, Robert, is this conflicting with your baby boomer deal you talked about where they were holding on to stocks too much and they couldn't, they couldn't do it? No. No, no, no. This, these articles harmonize beautifully. Keep those costs low. Remember, invest in simple time horizon long. But if I were to add a little asterisk, keep the time horizon long when you can. Okay? If you're, if you're 70 years old, you're 75 years old, and you have a fixed amount of money to live on, and you're 100% equities, and those equities could have a 10-year drought, just as scary, they could drop precipitously, and the headlines will read they're never going to come back again. Or in Japan, they never did. 1988, still not back. So it's optimal, based on this data, of course, to be in stocks. But you must, personal finance is personal. I would rather have someone be able to stay the course. And in my mind, that means a bond allocation for retirees. Not all of them. Again, I gave you my crazy example. If someone worth $100 million is giving their net worth to charity, blah, 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 blah. But for most people, I do not think most humans will be able to stick with their 100% stock allocation when the market drops and it keeps on dropping. I do not think you'll be able to do it, particularly when you're retired, when the stakes are the highest, when you're not going back to a career. This is your one shot at investing. So... I recommend you mirror the target date fund or you buy the target date fund and your tax advantaged account and your brokerage account. You can just mirror it with exchange trade funds and, and let 
let the Vanguard, Fidelity, Charles Schwab's of the world, all their targeted funds are pretty similar, a little different, but pretty similar. Let them set the risk profile for you. Do not seek to handicap yourself. It is very difficult, very difficult for us to assess ourselves. So, as always, keep your costs low, keep your investments in, low, keep your time horizon low.